RadioInfluence.com. All right, man, it's, I'm telling you, I am just loving, loving, loving life because, you know, I've been covering sports for, I, I don't know how many years. I don't even want to mention it. And being able to be in Tampa Bay right now, if you're not living in Tampa Bay, I feel for you. But, you know, it, it goes in cycles. Your team will eventually, eventually, hopefully in your lifetime, you will see success. And just being here and covering this Tampa Bay Lightning run to try to three-peat hasn't been done since 83. So it's just, it's blowing me away. It really is. So now we're Stanley Cup final. And it's Denver, Colorado, the Colorado Avalanche. I lived in Denver for a couple of years. I'll tell you about that. So plenty on that. Um, the, the Bucks finished up their mini camp. All right. So getting ready for training camp. We got about six and a half weeks to go now. Uh, and this episode is with Dwayne Stats. Dwayne Stats is a legend, a legendary, still living the dream, play-by-play, Major League Baseball announcer. He's been with the Tampa Bay Devil Rays and now, of course, the Rays since their inception. But he was with the Cubs and worked with Harry Carey. He was with the Yankees and Tony Kubek. He's done, he was with the Houston Astros. He's done ESPN. I mean, I know a lot of fans, because he's been doing the Rays so long, they don't realize his background. And the the the, the these unbelievable names in that he worked with. It's just incredible. So I sat down with Dwayne Stats in his office, which is basically open air, and it's right where he does the broadcast with B.A. on Rays games at Tropicana Field. We did have to stop because the girl that was, uh, the woman that was going to do the national anthem was doing a sound check. But uh, on editing, you won't even know. So I've always liked Dwayne. We've always uh, had a connection. He's just a good man. And it's incredible. Wait, wait, wait do you hear how he started to how he got to where he is today and still doing it and loving it. Don't we all wish that we could just keep on doing what we love to do? And it's just incredible. Here he is. Without further ado, man, enjoy. Dwayne Stats. All right, Dwayne, like I mentioned to you, uh, you just do not age. You look fantastic. You sound fantastic. You've been doing play-by-play. Do you know exactly? (laughs) Well, first, let me tell you, I have some glasses if you want to borrow them and you can see some of the age No, 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 no. No, um, yeah, I don't don't know the exact number. I'll tell you, my first... My first baseball, professional baseball, was in the minor leagues in 1973. I mean, that's eons ago. Uh, I, I just had the good fortune to to fall into situations where uh, I was afforded an opportunity uh, to get on the air early. I went to school in southern Illinois right down the road from where I grew up, and the year I went in, was the year they put their student station on the air. Really? So I'm uh, very grateful uh, and indebted to uh, them to do that because from day one, uh, I had a, another a friend of mine from high school, um, a broadcast guy as well. We were both interested in it, wound up at that station, and then did the College Division World Series, I think, on that station um, in 72. I used that tape, shopped it around to every minor league team I could uh, think of, and um, and got a job in Oklahoma City in the middle of my junior year, which, wow. and we were on the quarter system then, so it took me a year longer to get a degree, but 
I had two years of AAA experience in 73 and 74 at Oklahoma City. Went back and the offseason went to school and worked for a, a small radio station doing high school football and basketball and all of that. And then um, uh, from that, got a job in St. Louis with a TV station and was fortunate enough by, uh, well, 76, I did an audition, uh, my first major league game at Wrigley Field, uh, the Astros and the Cubs. Wow. And uh, Rick Russell against J.R. Richard. It took two hours and 14 minutes to play it. Oh, my God. And the guys I did the game with were Gene Elston, whom I had listened to as a kid forever, and Bob Prince, the one year he spent in uh, in Houston after you know his great career in Pittsburgh. And both those guys uh, could not have been better. Um, I owe a, a, a great debt uh, to Gene Elston, who has passed to the great booth in the sky. And I, I've just been fortunate to do exactly what I wanted to do. You know, like most of us, you grow up playing baseball, you love it, right, you know, and right. you're pretty good as a kid. Right, you right. know, you get into the, the teen years, you're pretty right. good. But uh, I, I knew that nobody was ever going to pay me to play. And I got this broadcast opportunity and said, you know what, I'm going to run with that and see see where it takes. That's interesting because a lot of times guys or women that I talk to in this business, they want to be in the business. They want one specific thing, but it ends up sometimes not. And I did see you did a short stint in TV uh, and then back you were into play by play. Did, did you when you did that? Were you like, no, 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 no. Play by play is what I want to do. Yeah, I was all I took that job because it gave me tv experience on my resume oh. and it paid some bills um we were married at the time uh my late wife d who deserves a lot of credit too for putting up with uh, all of those things in those early years where you're you know you're trying to stretch uh you're trying to stretch 50 cents into a dollar you know that kind of thing but um that was great for me i got uh, i got tv experience in st louis uh, at uh, kplr uh, one one of the uh, <laughs> one of the things that, uh, uh, as I look back, probably saved my career. Uh, they carried the Blues hockey games in St. Louis. It was simulcast. Dan Kelly, one of the greatest of all time, did it on KMOX Radio, and they simulcast on KPLR. And the guy who hired me was the program director. Thought it would be a good idea if this young twenty-two-year-old whippersnapper. Uh, would do the blues games on uh, on KPLR, and I I was in my heart saying, you know, my career could be over because here's this kid going to come in and do hockey, and and hockey was not my forte. Dan Kelly was the greatest. Can you imagine? I mean, oh. we wouldn't be sitting here if if that had come to pass. So I wound up doing uh, the St. Louis Soccer Stars and did the sports on the sports, you know, on the news sure. and all that. Sure, and then. Uh, and then got a chance to go to Chicago to to do that audition with uh, with the Astros, and that was that that developed out of uh, childhood um, letters that I had sent to Gene Nelson and corresponded with him. We just kept in touch, and when I developed this interest in broadcasting, I sent him letters and said, you know, what would you recommend? Uh, what what route should I take? And he was kind enough to correspond back and forth, and I had gotten to know him. And I had gotten word that they were going to make a change, maybe an addition to their crew. So I called him, and uh, and he said, you know, we've had a couple guys fill in on some games. And he said, let me see what I can do. You might as well get a shot, too. And so 
uh, from that conversation came that chance to fill in and do that game uh, between the Astros and the Cubs in uh, Wrigley Field. Isn't that something? See, see, that's persistence. Uh, you kept at it with the letters and things like that, and then, and then you get your chance, and then when you get the chance, you got to take that chance and run with it, and you did. Now, I know your first play-by-play gig was with the Houston Astros. That's right. You even called a no-hitter, I believe, with Nolan Ryan. We did. Uh, I, I, I've... Uh, I, that following year, which would have been 77, was my first full year, went to the Astros, and, and it was at a time when they were just starting to televise a lot of games. So Gene and I were the two play-by-play guys. So as a young guy, I got an opportunity to do tons of play-by-play there and uh, spent eight years there. Uh, both our daughters were born there. It was a great stay. Uh, we still have ties, strong ties to uh, Texas and Houston because of that. And what an opportunity for a, a young guy to, say. to get up there and um, and get all of that work and uh, and hone his craft. You didn't have to toil for many years in my, the minors were so many guys. So yep. you've, you have had some opportunities and you've taken advantage of it. All right. The Chicago Cubs. Oh my God, Wrigley Field, and with Harry Carey. Yeah. I, 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 what was it like, Dwayne? Well, I, it, it was so great, uh, and and Harry is another guy um, who who was great to me as a young broadcaster. You know, I had by that time, I guess, early thirties uh, when I got an opportunity to go there, and uh, that primarily was radio. I did six on radio, uh, three on TV, but again. I was doing nine innings of play-by-play every day. So uh, it was a great opportunity for me in a a big market and to continue to hone my craft. I had some great partners up there uh, who I worked with, uh, you know, going in. You can imagine a young broadcaster going in, primarily doing radio, and there's Lou Boudreau as my partner. And Vince Lloyd, who had been there, and he still did home games with us. We had a three-man booth then. But to have Lou Boudreau... Uh, uh, a guy who, as a, as a man and as a player and manager, one of the greatest of all time, had uh, Jimmy Fry. The one year between when he was fired as manager and then hired as GM, Jimmy was my partner. And then Davey Nelson, the infielder, uh, we uh, we became lifelong friends. And another a partner who has who has uh, left us, I miss him every day. Uh, he was one of the greatest partners. And, and greatest uh, men who I've known. So those were my partners there. And then, you know, I'd pop in, do three innings on TV, and Steve Stone was over there. So I, I've been surrounded by some really great people. All I had to do was show up on time and just not screw it up, you know. And if I did that, I had, a, I had an even chance. Was Harry Carey as much of a character as we thought? Yeah, yes, you know, every, he, every he bit. He really was. Oh. Every bit the character. You know, when I was a kid growing up in St. Louis in that area, Harry was doing the games there. And then, you know, there came that time when he was no longer doing the games. And, and there were all kinds of rumors about that. He wound up going to Oakland for a year and then the White Sox and then the Cubs. But Harry, he, he once told me, well, when I went there, he, um, uh, in spring training, I actually was in a car with Harry driving. And we were going to, um, out to, uh, I'm not sure if it was Chandler anyway. Yeah. The Brewers. Okay. Where they, and we were yes. playing them. And so we're uh, 
we're driving back, and, and with Harry at the wheel, that was kind of an interesting experience anyway. But he told me, he says, listen, he goes, I'm going to tell you. He said, you've been around for a while, so you don't need me to tell you what to do. He goes, you know, you can, you, you take care of what you need to take care of, and we'll have some fun. And, uh, and he, was, he was great and gracious with me. And, uh, and, again, another guy like Gene Elston I'd listened to as a child, Grew up with Harry Carey almost in the backyard. Uh, to get to work with these people uh, was just an unbelievable uh, dream come true for me. Wow, wow. All right, well, it keeps getting even better. Now you, we go to the uh, New York Yankees, yep. the, the pinstripes, Yankee Stadium, George Steinbrenner. What was that experience yeah, like? It Dwayne? was great. That, that was an opportunity uh, that I um, that I really couldn't turn down. I, 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 I never really thought about going to New York. You know, I, I grew up in a little town. I was born in a little town in Missouri with 600 people in it and then lived in a, a small town in southern Illinois in that St. Louis metropolitan area. But um, so New, but New York was a challenge. I got a call from them. Uh, Bob Gutkowski uh, ran MSG Network. They had just made the big rights deal and they wanted uh, to put a crew together and uh, my partner was Tony Kubek. So, I, look, I, I've been blessed with some of the greatest partners. I mean, how, how, can, how can you look bad when you're keeping that kind of company? And Kubek was great. So the five years we spent there, uh, they, were, um, they were outstanding. It gave, gave me an opportunity to do the games there. I, I didn't move to New York. I was kind of a central time zone guy, and we had family in Florida. And that's actually when... When we moved to Florida. Oh, I didn't know and, that. And Tony, you know, in all of the years that he played and broadcast, he never left Wisconsin either. And so those were the days when we were together and, and we uh, wow. we had a little place, each of us downtown, that uh, <laughs> MSU Network was gracious enough to, to help out with. So it, it uh, was a great experience for five years. And, and when... The last year of that was a strike year. All of that ended, and Tony decided he was going to go home um, and retired then, and I went to ESPN. Uh, I'd had an opportunity when I was in Chicago to do that, but I was contractually bound and couldn't do it. So then I went to ESPN for three years and, uh, and did uh, the Wednesday night game of the week and then did football and basketball for him as well and some other baseball assignments. And it really turned out um, because, D, that was her first bout with uh, illness. Yeah, so it gave me an opportunity to live in Florida and have more family time. And, and it was, uh, again, opportune because of uh, D's illness. And, uh, and we got through that, uh, that round of it. And, uh, and then there was expansion coming. And I, I got a call from uh, the folks with uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. And I, frankly, I had uh, I had missed doing a game on a daily basis and got an opportunity uh, to come here. And it, it was a shared experience that really, if I had a mentor, it had to be Gene Elston, who was with uh, the Astros, the Colt 45s, in 1962 in an expansion experience. And so I, I called Gene and talked with him about you know, give me uh, give me some ideas of how it was for you, new team, and introducing Major League Baseball and all that. And um, and so I had the I had the same opportunity here, knowing that you were going to come into an expansion team, 
you weren't going to have a lot of winning seasons to begin with. Uh, that's pretty much uh, the tried and true method of expansion teams. Right. So um, I, I thought it was a great opportunity to get back uh, in the saddle and doing games pretty much on a daily basis and, uh, and to live the challenge and experience of, um, of creating a, a baseball atmosphere in an expansion team uh, atmosphere. So uh, we did that, uh, wound up uh, on the beach here and have been there uh, from the beginning. Uh, love it here. Uh, my two daughters uh, have matured into wonderful, beautiful women. Uh, we lost D along the way, and a couple of years later, I remarried oh, a, a wonderful girl who, who was a family friend and who had lost her husband, Carla. So it has been uh, just the best. Uh, it wound up with, uh, with our older one, Steph uh, and Dan Wheeler, getting married, and they've uh, blessed us with three grandchildren, the, uh, the oldest of whom is uh, going to be a senior in high school. It doesn't seem possible, but they're going to be, I guess they're now 17, 14, and 12, or 11, somewhere. They're three years apart. Uh, two, two boys, uh, Zach is our middle one. Gabe is our older one. So we have got Gabe and Zach and, um, and the beauty and the brains of the family. Uh, Evie is uh, our granddaughter and, and we're just blessed to have them all. It's awesome. Do you still enjoy it as much today broadcasting baseball as you did when you started? Yeah, I do. I do. You know, the game changes, the game changes all the time. Uh, but I love, I love sitting down and doing the game from the first pitch forward, I just I get that feeling. I hope I I maintain that enthusiasm for it. Uh, it is not only an intellectual uh, atmosphere and and exercise, but it's an emotional one as well that uh, that I just really appreciate and and uh, enjoy doing it. I'm I'm not sure anything else from a from a professional level. Uh, would feel the same for me. Uh, I've always wanted to do play-by-play. I've done some studio work, and we both know how all of that is, and it's we're blessed to do it all. But I love to sit down and uh, and call play-by-play. I just it feels like the natural thing to do. And after going through the COVID, and after doing games here when they're away. How great, isn't it? Isn't it? It's like sometimes you take it for granted. You probably didn't, but then to be back at the ballpark yeah. in person, boy, it's something, isn't it, Dwayne? Yeah, the atmosphere at a ballpark is is unique. Uh, you know, in every sport, I guess it's that way. But but I think baseball, you know, because of the pacing of the game, uh, you have you have uh, you have highs and lows in a game and up tempo, and then sometimes uh, you know not as dramatic as others. Kind of like life. And uh, and I love that about the game. Still love that. Uh, I guess um, you know the difference is I, I that first game I did yeah. with uh, the Cubs and the Astros at Wrigley Field. I think you know was I, I think what two hours and twelve minutes, two fifteen something like that. Games tend to be a little longer, and I and I think the idea that they can get these games and make them sub three yeah. would be great. Yeah, you know, and and that has a lot to do with the way the game changes. Here's the thing about this game, though. It never stays the same. And and so I'm looking for it, you know, to make that adjustment where there is greater rhythm and tempo to the game than we've seen over the past couple of years. And I'm seeing signs of that. Yes. So I'm, I'm still hopeful. 
last two, I always wanted to ask a broadcaster, when you are calling a no hitter, number one, you got to be careful, I guess. There's the old like jinxing on, on, you know, what's, what's your philosophy? How do you do that? And do you start getting a little bit more amped up and try not? You're in maybe the seventh inning now. What's, what is that like? Yeah, you do. You know, I, I've been blessed to do 10 no hitters. 10. And uh, I knew Gars, I know Abbott. I know, I don't know. 10. Yeah, we had, uh, Kenny Forge was the first one in Houston. Oh, I remember that name. And then Nolan Ryan. Don't ask me to name them all. Sure, you don't have to. But, um, um, you do build with it, but but that event builds itself. And if you do a proper job of covering it, you're going to have all the drama and all the suspense uh, and the build up that you need if you if you cover the game. And and so, sure, you you start to feel that when you're you know you get into five, six, seven. It there's no question that it builds, and it's it's a fun thing to do. All right, here's my last one. I always ask all of my guests, and I'm sure you get this over the years. What advice, what is the best advice, Dwayne, that you can give to a young play-by-play broadcaster? What, do you, what, what would it be, Dwayne? There's nothing like uh, sitting down and doing the games. You have to do the games, get as much play-by-play experience as you can. Uh, that's what I tried to do when I went to Oklahoma City. I did everything else at the ballpark. If they wanted me to paint the park, I did it. If distribute tickets, write the releases. But what I wanted, I wanted a chance to do the games uh, day in and day out and be the play-by-play guy because without that, you don't get better. It's like anything else you do. So get as much play-by-play experience as you can. And then um, if you're fortunate to have all the partners that I've had, uh, like Brian Anderson here, uh, you just hand it off to them and, you know, let them uh, let them make you look good. No, there's an art and a science to it. I can't do it. You do it, and you do it well. So continued success on and off uh, off the field and out of the booth. Thanks so much, Dwayne. Rock, my pleasure. Always great to be in your company. I think the thing that blew me away the most when I was sitting there listening to Dwayne basically give us his resume, right, his, his bio, it was like, all right, well, you know, I knew this was in it, and I just got a call. Would I be interested here? Yeah, boom, I got the job. Oh, the Devil Ray, you know, the, the, the Chicago Cubs, you know, he, he did his audition out in the outfield at Wrigley Field, the bleachers, and like, and, oh, you got the job. Oh, the, 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 there's an expansion team in Tampa Bay. Uh, they're going to be called the Devil Rays. He gets a call. Would you be interested? Yeah, I'll take it. Boom. It, isn't that something? That just shows you how good he is at what he does. Like us... You, me, you send your resume and your cover letter and you hope to get your first interview on the phone. And then you may, and then maybe you'll be lucky enough to do a Zoom. And then maybe you'll be lucky enough to be called in. And then maybe you'll be lucky enough to be a finalist. And then, oh my God, you kidding me? You hit the lotto, you actually get a job? <laughs> For, that just shows you. I'm sure it wasn't always that easy, but just, he just, it's incredible. So, Dwayne, thank you very, very much. Now, I also sat down with his co worker, Trisha Whitaker. She's in her fourth season on the sidelines 
with the Tampa Bay Rays in Major League Baseball. She was in Indiana at a CBS affiliate as a sports anchor reporter. How did she make it? How did she get that gig? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do that in possibly next week, but I got, I, I want to space it out. I don't want to make it baseball, baseball. So just if you're a Rays fan and if you, or even if you're just baseball and you like hearing how these announcers made it to where they are because they're living the dream, Trisha Whitaker, very, very cool. I didn't know her. I've been around now covering the Rays and just observe, I observe and I'm like, she's cool. She's cool. She really is. And uh, she's not a diva. And so I'll play that for you in an upcoming episode. One more thing before I move on to everything that's going on in my life and what's cooking right now and how you doing. Are you hanging? Are you hanging? Hope you're going to have a good summer here. Um, the the one guy that just amazes me is Shane McClanahan. He is the ace. He is the young ace. I think he's something like 25 years old, maybe. Is he two-year, 26 max? He's two, three years out of USF, University of Central, uh, South Florida. Oh, I almost said the, oh, they're such, they don't like each other. But anyway, nothing bothers this kid. We all know he's, he, you know, if you follow baseball, or if you don't, go go Google, go look up on YouTube Shane McClanahan and watch. He is a lefty with a live arm. He's healthy. He throws 100 miles an hour. He's got a curve. He's got a slider, and he's got a changeup. And he's putting it all together. And Kevin Cash said the, the, the sign of an elite pitcher is you have to have all of that, obviously. The heater, the movement, work fast, don't walk, guys. That type of thing. You have to have that. But it's also the consistency. That's the thing that makes you elite. And McClanahan is showing that right now. But the thing that uh, that I get a kick out of is how he's so oblivious, man, to just everything. You know, he just, the way I watch him, he walks in the clubhouse and he's just like, Lottie da like, huh? How you doing, man? Like nothing affects him. It's not going to get to his head because if because you, if you're this young and you're leading uh, the American League in strikeouts and your name is going to start popping up for Cy Young and you're just a kid, the most will let that get to their heads. And it in him, no, he's like I just want to win and nothing phases him. I watch how he he's just incredible. So, I mean, I'm a big fan. And here's a kid that if. He doesn't come down with a shoulder or a Tommy John. Most pitchers will. He is, he's, he's just fun to watch. And I'm telling you, watch, you know, behind the scenes, oblivious. He's oblivious to everything that's going on. That's a good thing. That's a good trait. All right. I have been in this beeswax for well over 30 years. I don't like to give the exact date because I'll date my ass. Um, but I think I am having the most fun watching this dynasty in the making, the Tampa Bay lightning in hockey, they were down two nothing and being down two games to none against the New York Rangers. They had played more games, 17 more games, I think than any team in hockey over the last two years. Cause they've gone to the Stanley cup and won it, you know, so they played the longest and I thought, all right, that's it. I'll admit it. I was like, you know what? Time is up. You know, they had two great Stanley Cup championships. And, you know, no, no. They come back and they come back and they end up winning this series. And it's just watching and listening 
like Steven Stamkos, this might be, I don't care about the 60 goals and stuff. And uh, his head coach, John Cooper, put it best. Like when you are the face of a franchise, it's Vasilevsky, it's Hedman, it's Kucherov, but it's Steven Stamkos. When you're the face of the franchise for so many years, there's a lot of pressure on you. Not only do you have to score goals, okay, but you also have to be the leader on and off the ice, the way you carry yourself, the way you have to address the media. You know, things aren't always going to be going good. And he's like, that's a lot of pressure, man, to be a face of a franchise, and especially one that is looking to three-peat. And Stamkos comes through in an elimination game, and he comes through with two goals. And then when he gets up on the podium, I'm sitting second row right there, right, you know, 25, 20 feet away from him, watching him. And he answers every question. He's got a good sense of humor. He's not cocky at all. It really is amazing to see. And he's all about team. It's not about him. He's like, I could care less whether I score a goal or not. It's to win. And they they, they, they all bought in. You, all, you have to buy in. It's like whatever job you have. And if you're a boss and if you have workers under you that are, un, you know, unselfish, Oh my God, that's, that's what it's about. And so it's just really amazing. And so let me tell you, all right. So we all know, you know, it's obvious. Okay. They're, 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 they're a dynasty. Well, they win the three Pete. They're going to be, they got to be a dynasty, but anyway, so it's when out of towners come now that we're in the Stanley cup final, we're going to see more national, uh, bigger names, that are going to come in here to town. I'm hoping I can corner one or two for the Rock Stops Here podcast. We'll see how it goes. I'll be doing my best. But I was in the uh, the the dinner room the the in the Amelie Arena for the media and workers staff, and I go up to get my dessert. They have this uh, ice cream where you 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 know it's usually vanilla. You can put toppings on it. You got the whipped cream. You can drizzle on the chocolate like the sauce. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. After Oh, my God. So I'm there, and I noticed this big guy, and he's young. He's a big guy. And I'm like, damn, that looks like Zach Gelb of CBS Sports Radio. He, he's got a national show. He's one of the – he's probably the youngest national sports talk radio – Big time guys around, I would say right now, Zach Gelb. And so I follow him on Twitter, but he's got so many followers compared to me and my local Yokel Tampa. I appreciate all you. And so I saw him sitting by himself and he was up getting the ice cream and I just had to say something, but I saw his credential and it was Tampa Bay lightning. It was through the lightning. It wasn't the NHL credential. And I'm like, maybe he's just a member of the lightning. He's a young guy on staff. And I just had to say something. And so he was getting his toppings and I'm getting my ice cream. And I said, Hey man, he goes, Hey rock. Like, I think he said my name. I was like blown away. I was like, you look like the guy that's on national radio. He goes, Oh yeah, that's me. I said, Holy shit. He goes, yeah, I think we follow each other. 
And I said, dude, I gave him my card. I'm like, listen, if you ever need anything, especially on the GOAT, I'm here covering the Bucks all the time, whatever, in Tampa Bay. He's like, no, I think we're sitting next to each other. I saw your name on the list, like the auxiliary press box. I said, oh, no shit. All right, I'll, I'll talk to you later. So it was time to go up, and they have uh, they have these these tables set aside in the stands with the fans, but it's you're kind of blocked off. And it's up on the third level. It's great. And you're out there. So I go up, I walk, I saw him sitting up there, but I, the, there was a couple of fans that were sitting in the press area near him. And I just assumed that he knew them. So I didn't want to sit right next to him. The fans were sitting next to him. And then my guy, Tom, that we worked with the Tampa free press together. And I was sitting near Tom and then security eventually kicked out the fans that were sitting next to Zach and I was laughing and I said, do you know them? He goes, no, I thought they said they sold these seats to some fans. I'm laughing now. The lightning wouldn't do that. They're really above board. So after the first period, I sat over next to Zach and he basically now he's out of New York. He's if you don't know, he's CBS sports. He's got a, I think it's three or four hours national show. And he worked in Philly, but he's from Long Island. And he just said to me, he goes, this is a great atmosphere. This is a great vibe. And then he's like, how old is this building? It looks kind of new. I'm like, no, it's been around a while, but the owner is Jeffrey Vinnick. He keeps it up. Uh, you know, they keep it spruced up. And he was just like, oh my God. And then he asked me, wow, why do you think Iserman left, man? This is a dynasty, man. And I said, well, no, it, it was time. And he, well, he stayed on a year. And I think his family and his wife, they wanted to go back to Detroit but uh, no, he was a good guy. There was no bad blood or anything like that. And just asked me a couple of things, asked me about the goat and Brady. And he's, he really is a big fan of Bruce Arians. Arians comes on his show. He doesn't have to go through public relations. And, but it was just interesting to get a guy that's living in New York. He's on CBS sports radio nationally. And he was been at the garden. He actually has gone as a fan. Uh, for a couple of games as a fan, he bought tickets. Yeah. Cause Dolan, the owner there, Oh my God, it's a long story with CBS sports, one of their hosts and Madolin that owns the Rangers and that, 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 but he was just like, it was easier for me to get a credential here. And I, I came down here to, 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 to watch this series. So it was really, really cool. Bruce Beck. He is with NBC, New York, NBC four, New York for, Oh my God, he's Jersey boy. I know who he is. He he motioned to me, "How you doing, my man? Da da da. How you doing? How you doing?" So it, and, and yeah, this is great. Like it's it's really something to see. And now now that we're in Stanley Cup final week, it's going to be really really cool to talk with some of these national people on their perspective of hockey down here. You know, it, anybody that takes a swipe at oh my God, it's Florida. Really like that, Michael Wilbon. I think who's on, you know, pardon my take with Kornheiser, I guess a couple of series ago or something. He's like, oh, they only care about SEC football. It's really not a hockey area. Well, he hasn't been down here. You have to experience it. And yes, there were Ranger fans. Now, I'll tell you, when, when we were going down the steps, it, the one thing about Amelie Arena, they did not build it correctly for the, they got these freight, two freight elevators. The freight elevator was broken the game before this one. And it just, you're, you're with workers, you would, it's just a real hassle. 
Even Phil Esposito has, has mentioned it. It's the only thing. They just they didn't build it right. But anyway, but anyway. So it was hard to get down from our level to get all the way down, but they had the trophy presentation. There was going to be a time you're amidst all these fans. And I got to be honest. So we're going down from the top level along with all the fans, Ranger fans and Lightning fans. It seemed to me like earlier in the series, there were more Ranger fans than there were for this one, this this game clincher, game six. It just, it just seemed to me. I was in the stands for both games, and it just seemed like there were more. But there were still some Ranger fans, and I got to be honest with you, in this day and age, man, I'm going to keep my phone out. And I and I keep my phone out because I'm going to see if somebody gets in a fight, somebody clocks somebody. There was none of that. At least I didn't see it, and I didn't hear about it. You know what happened with that Ranger fan and, and just sucker punching and just laying out and knocking out that Lightning fan for no apparent reason and all that. There's no, I just don't, I just don't get it, man. Even even if you're younger, like I never had the beer muscles. Did you ever go somewhere where one of your guys that you're with in a group or you see somebody in a bar and they're just talking shit because they're drunk and they're looking for it or they're just looking for a fight? Oh, my God. I remember now that I just think of this back when I was in New Jersey, I was where I was at the Marstown. No, 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 no. It was called the Delhi Advance or no. Was it the Delhi Record? All I know is I was at a newspaper I started out before I got into radio. And we went out for some drinks. The 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 plant, the newspaper place that I was, it was called Mount Olive, New Jersey. I, I swear to God, Mount Olive, New Jersey. And we went out to a local bar to go have some beers after work. I was in my, I was probably like 23 years old. I'll never forget this. And I pulled in. It was just like a borderline dive bar. And we went in and there was a pool table and I was playing pool with the guys that I work with. And a guy at the bar, like a local was eyeing me. I never saw the guy didn't do anything to the guy. One of these things where the guy, for whatever reason, just looking at me, did not like me. What is this? His local bar. Whoa, what? I'm on the pool table playing. And he said, he's like, he, he went by to go to the bathroom and it, it's so many years ago, but he either said something to me or like hit my pool cue or something. And I'm like, what's this guy's deal? So we were done. I didn't, I wasn't wasted. It wasn't one of these nights where I had so many beers. No, I had like two or three beers And I'm going out in the parking lot to get into my car. And this guy had a pickup truck and he got in his car and he revved it up and he came whipping around the corner and got out. I'm just in the parking lot. He got out of his car and he goes, what, what you want to go motherfucker? What, what, what'd you say? And I said, what are you talking about, man? And he goes, Oh, you want, what'd you call me? What'd you fucking say to me? What'd you say to me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And got in my face and I didn't flinch. I did not flinch for whatever reason. It was like, I just couldn't believe it. I did not flinch. And he got right in my face. You say something to me, mother. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. And he was so pissed off. 
acted like I didn't take his swing. I didn't give him lip back. I, I don't know what it was. I was just very calm. And he just, ah, oh, he's so pissed off. And he got back in his, his pickup truck and he peeled out. And it was one of these gravel, dirt parking lots where he shot up all the gravel and he was so pissed off and left. And I'm like, look at that. So, I mean, you just never know. And especially after a game, but I, I don't know. There, there, there wasn't, there wasn't like a lot of trash talking by lightning fans and getting in the faces of Ranger fans. And so there was no fight and nothing and good. You know what I'm saying? Good on that. All right. Uh, oh, there are, there's a pair. They're a couple, a young couple. And they are super fans. I would call them influencers. They don't call themselves. They just call them big Tampa Bay sports fans. Their names, Paul Driscoll and Blair Driscoll. They're just a young married couple. They live in downtown Tampa in a high rise right next to Amelie Arena. And they post on social media. They're superstitions. They're big fans. And they've got a following. And I've been following them from afar. And I just get a kick out of it. They got the jerseys. They got the hats. They got their superstitions. And they just seem like a good, nice, wholesome, young couple. They really do. So I'm telling my wife this. I'm showing them this. I said, look at what they do. They put out a plum at like 2 o'clock, plum power. And then they put on a fruit cup. Paul does. And then it did Nikita Chiquita banana. Uh, before the game. I know it might sound corny and it probably is, but they've developed a following of lightning fans that follow them and they count on them at this time. They're going to do this. They do this from this grocery store. They have these superstitions and they've been doing this for a while now through last year's lightning Stanley cup run. And I only started following them maybe a year ago from afar. So my wife gets a kick out of it. She's like, you follow these people on social media. You really don't know them. She goes, you got to get to them. You, you got to meet them. And I'm like, I'm funny. And it, I'm on this, like, I don't know what it is lately. Like I'm just running into, you know, I'm thankful that I'm able to get out of my house, that I'm still healthy enough. I can drive myself. <laughs> I can go on my own. I'm, I'm very, very fortunate. I have some friends that have health issues. They can't get out. And I really feel for you, man. I really do. Your day, your good day is coming. Your day of reckoning is coming. Uh, if you're living a good life, I feel for you. But anyway, so I'm out and about. I'm at everything, and I'm just running in. Like I ran into Ric Flair when he was leaving, uh, not going to the Emily Arena. He was heading to the bar. He lives in downtown Tampa. I ran into Big Show from WWE, now at AEW. And so I'm on my way. I, I was going a little late to this game. It was on a Saturday we had some storms in the area and I was, I usually get there several hours before the game, but this one I was running a little bit later and I park and I bring a little, and I'm, I'm saying, Oh, it's really dark skies. Am I going to get soaked? I bring an extra shirt, I pop it in my bag and a long sleeve shirt. Cause it's very cold in these, uh, hockey arenas and just in case I want to be wet. Isn't it, isn't the worst thing when you're soaking wet, and then you're just sitting there and you're, you're, you you can't get dry. Oh, that's the worst. So anyway, so I'm walking and I'm right by the arena and I'm walking and here comes the power couple. Here comes Tampa Bay super fans, the Driscolls, and they're wearing their stuff and they nobody else is around. Just like when Flair was walking right towards me, they're walking right towards me. He pointed, I pointed, big hug, gave Blair a big hug. 
Never met him. Never met one another. Just following, following each other on social media. Welcome to 2022. And we connected like that. And I said, I can't believe the following you guys do and your superstitions and da, da, da. It's unbelievable. And then, oh, and you and that and this and that. You posted last night. You were just forgetting about your superstitions. You went out to Ebor or wherever you were. No, a channel, uh, uh, the other place. But anyway, but anyway, we took a picture. We bought, and, and Blair gave me a fist bump. That's his wife. And she goes, you know, if they win, we got to do the, you know, they're big on their superstitions. And I said, you know it. And sure enough, they won. So it looks like I will have to coordinate and meet the Driscolls before home games here for the Stanley Cup final, because I don't want to blow up their superstitions. <laughs> but it was kind of neat. It was kind of neat. It was actually very, very cool. All right. One more thing I got to say. Now I'm sitting outside here. And we're in our pattern here in Florida. I don't mind it where it rains every day because I'm a homeowner. I got grass, some grass lawn that has almost died during the dry spell. And I got my weed and feed on prior to June 1st here. And now finally we're getting it and we're going to have it nice. So I'm sitting outside. There was a sleepover. My daughter's turning 13 in days. And there was a sleepover, four girls. That includes my daughter here last night. So I was tickled pink that I was able to be at Emily Arena. So I was not around four 13-year-old girls, but I was getting updates. My wife was sending me pictures, and they were swimming here, and a little dog was out there, and I'm like, oh, my God, they're blissful there. I'm blissful over here at Emily Arena, and all is good. But I'm, I'm recording this here at close to noon, and the girls are still here and just doing their thing and just, you know, because right, it's an only child. My 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 uh, daughter does have a brother, but he lives with his mom. So when they're together, they have a great bond. But she's here by herself, so you know you got to have these sleepovers. But they stay up so late now. What happened to them being kids, man, and going to bed? Holy crap! I I rolled in here at one a.m. and they were rolling. They had these face masks on. They were laughing. And I was like, all right, girls, 2 o'clock will be your cutoff. 2 a.m. When I was 12, 13 years old, I didn't stay until 2 a.m. But I don't want to be that get-off-my-lawn guy. All right, one more thing I got to tell you about. I now see what it's like if you were in my business, all right, in media, broadcasting. It, you got to be on a big platform, man. I can bust my balls and try to promote myself, but my followers, I appreciate every one of you. But again, I am not known out of the Tampa Bay market. I know the reality. And I covered, it was for a great cause. It was for these kids and their families that are dealing with cancer and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have done a great job raising money for these families, pediatric cancer. They've been doing it for years. And they had to take off because of the pandemic. They couldn't do it in person. And so they have a day where they just treat the families like kings and queens and princesses and princes. And they just let them have fun. And they raise money. And... The, the Buccaneer players and staff either get their heads shaved or 
spray painted orange because that's the color of the National Pediatric Cancer Fund uh, deal. And so I didn't know if Brady, they said Brady in the email was going to show up. So I already was at the raise. I sat down with Trisha Whitaker. I rushed over to get, I went into the clubhouse for just a a little bit. And then I rushed over and Brady had just finished speaking. And now they're off for until training camp. But, and so I saw Ira this and that, and they were going to say, we're going to Hooters. We're going to tape a Joe Buckman podcast. And I said, well, let me see, let me see. And I knew at three o'clock, three to five is when they were going to have this big thing. And I, I said, you know what? I'm going to cover this thing because, you know, you cover the X's and O's. I'm happy to have a credential. Let me give what they're doing for pediatric cancer. Let me, give, let me do a story on this. So I told the PR person that I would be there. I'm a man of my word, but it wasn't until three. I was going to kill time anyway. And so when... The Joe Bucks fan guy said, let's go to Hooters. I said, you know what? What the hell? I haven't done a lunch at Hooters in a while. So I moseyed on over off of Hillsborough Avenue in Tampa. There were the boys. We were outside. We were busting balls, telling stories, this one and that one and this and that. And then they taped a podcast and they had uh, Todd Bowles on. It was, it is fantastic. If you don't, if, if you, it's there, check it out. Ira Kaufman podcast, Joe Bucks fan, Todd Bowles. You really get to know him. That's another thing. Zach Gelb, who is from CBS Sports, he goes, man, I I don't know how it's going to go with Todd Bowles. He doesn't say anything. I said, I know, Todd. He doesn't say anything in the media, but he's he's very forthcoming. He's a ball buster. He's got a good sense of humor. He's on this podcast on Joe Bucks fan. You got to check it out. Uh, He goes, really? I said, I know. He didn't work with the Jets. Yeah, but he learned from the Jets. We'll see. We'll see. So anyway, that's the episode that I'm on. But I was over there at Hooters and it was great. We killed time. So Ira was going to ask. No, 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 no. It was the next day was the press conference for Brady. It was the next day. And he practiced with me. I pretended like I was Todd Brady. This is at uh, Hooters. I pretended like I was the GOAT Brady. And Ira would say the questions. And he came through. He asked Brady flat out, what is your relationship? Was there any fallout with Bruce Arians? And, and, and Brady said, absolutely not. That was bullshit, that thing that just had legs. But Ira asked him, have you had any dealings with the Miami Dolphins to be with the Dolphins in any capacity? And Brady did not. He went on with a long dissertation, but he did not deny. He, so he's talked with the Dolphins. But, uh, but Ira practiced with me. And I pretended like I was Brady. And I was like, no, I have the utmost respect for Bruce Arians. Um, we got along fine. But right now I'm under Todd Bowles and I can't wait to work with Bowles. What about the Miami Dolphins? I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to try to win. And even Ira at Hooters is like, that's pretty good. You're pretty good. But give Ira credit, man. He came through the next day and he asked those questions. But anyway, so now those guys were heading home. I said, all right. And I and we killed time till like two o'clock. I went back to one buck. I was so glad that I was there to watch because all these families, can you imagine? And the stats are staggering on kids that get cancer 
Oh, my God. And for a day, they all had Buccaneer number one jerseys. They were treated with the players. They could spray paint the players' hair or shave their heads. And the families were there. And they all were up on stage with Brady and this and that. And it was great. But I zoomed in. I got video and still photos of Tom Brady. It almost looked like he had a mullet spray painted orange. I swear to God, my phone with notifications, I Twittered it. I put it on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, but on Twitter, I had thousands upon thousands likes for like 30 hours for almost 48 hours. It was unbelievable. And I was like, okay, I know it's the goat. And I know to see him with orange hair, I knew that that would go viral, but I didn't think it would be that much. And then somebody sent me the link. TMZ picked it up. CBS Sports. This Will, he he does a lot of, uh, he does CBS, but another guy that Avi, Avi, something, he's got like 580,000 followers. He does NFL stuff and a lot with Brady and another guy that does Brady stuff. And but with TMZ, it just, it, it, my phone was blown up. And I was like, look at this. Are the people that work for TMZ or CBS Sports, are they that much more talented or further along than me? It's just amazing on when you're on a big platform, you know. There's another podcast, two NFL players or one former, Bussin' with the Boys. They're very good. They do it in, in a bus. Very popular. They get a lot of good guests on. And I was listening to them. I was cleaning my pool the other day. And they tweeted out something about, they're on Tennessee Titans, something with Vrabel. Vrabel was working out on the heavy bag or the uh, a punching bag, you know. And, and, and he said, do you think I can take so-and-so, like one of the players? And one of the guys on Bussing with the Boys said that they posted that. And it was getting some traction. You had like over 100,000, you know, clicks. And then Pat McAfee retweeted it. And it it immediately went from 100,000 to over 500,000, just like that. It's just like Joe Rogan, McAfee, TMZ. It's really something. So you know what? I got to get my ass on a big-ass platform. That's the answer, right? (laughs) But you know what? I'm going to leave it on this. When I was listening to the portion of the IRIC uh, podcast with Todd Bowles. I was working out at my Anytime Fitness and he had a really good, you know, Ira was asking him, he asked him some great questions, but he said, Todd, Todd, you know, it's very rare you get a second chance. You know, the fact that, you know, it didn't work out with the Jets, that's always going to be on your resume. And, you know, how do you look at it while you've been able to get this second chance as a head coach? And I was right. You usually don't get a second chance. And Bowles, and I thought about this for myself. He had a great point. He's like, I didn't look at it like that. I basically, when you are looking, when you look real hard and are trying real hard for something specific, sometimes it usually doesn't work out. But in order to get that goal reached or that job that you want just keep doing a really good job at what you do 
And he's like, I always, I was never looking to be a head coach again. I was just looking to be the best defensive coordinator that I could be. And, and, and he was in the right place at the right time. Arian steps down, he gets the gig. And I've noticed, like, I, I haven't even, I updated my resume, man, two weeks ago. I hadn't even done it. I don't send it out. I'm just like, let me just, like, keep doing a good job on what I'm doing. And just by, like, coincidence, I'm running into Flair. I'm running into Big Show. I'm running into these people that I follow on social media. I'm just, and this and that, and people are coming up to me. And 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 da da da, da. I actually had this guy that crank called me 20 years ago. Uh, and I just ran into him and I just, just keep on grinding, doing the best job of whatever you're doing, just doing the best that you can just be the best at what you're doing and things will fall into place and you got to be a good person. That's still number one. But anyway, my thanks to Dwayne stats, my thanks to you guys that are still supporting me. It's slowly growing and I appreciate that. And, uh, let's just keep on jo- enjoying life. And if you're struggling, man, I feel for you. Your, your time is coming. Your day is coming. You know? All right? All right. I'll talk to you next week, same place, same time on The Rock Stops here. And we'll see what it brings us. Let's see who else I run into. All right? Thank you, guys. This is an MMA report with Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan. Quick fix on Radio Influence. We all know that all these promotions are trying to get fans to their product when your initials are not UFC, whether you're Bellator, your your PFL, your one championships, whoever it may be. By the way, I don't know if you saw one championship, uh, the rematch of uh, 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 DJ's rematch is going to be the first Amazon Prime card. I don't know if you saw that. I just throw that one out there. But it made me think, like, if you're Bellator, like, I think this is something you should do because I feel like if you put the right people on the broadcast, the people that could be great storytellers, but could also kind of have a, a good uh, color analyst of what's going on during that live fight. I felt like it would be great. And I told you, we were texting about this because like, initially I was like three or four Bellator fires, but then and the more I, th- I started to think about this, like I just don't know if you have enough, star power to get people to that broadcast now in terms of the hosts of the broadcast i i threw a jimmy smith to you but i'm like yeah i probably like we don't you went loud but a name came to me that i was like oh he'd be the perfect host Who's that? Got, he has history of bellator he's in television he's in sports he's involved in the mma community jay glazer the mma report with jason floyd and daniel galvan can be found on apple podcasts stitcher tune in radio google podcasts and radioinfluence.com